Hello, and welcome to episode 7 of the Desert Island Investor. It's a beautiful day here on the island, the sun is shining, so we've decided to have a bit of lunch on the beach. Food is all being kindly provided by Mark, and I believe all this came from Tesco's? It certainly did, Paul. And uh, did you use your club card? I certainly did. As I said, Paul, every little helps. Right, so obviously there's a reason for, for all of this, uh, because today uh, you're going to be talking about your longest held large cap stock, which is Tesco. Correct. So uh, let's let's get right into it. Uh, start with the financials. What are, what are the stats for Tesco? Yeah, right. Well, just some, some bare statistics. It's the largest company we've spoken about so far, uh, which has got a market capitalization of 19 billion. It's got a PE of 12 and the dividend yield is 4.1%. And it's got the ticker symbol TSCO. And this was first listed uh, way back, 1947? Yeah, just after the Second World War. Um, but it was started back uh, in 1919 by the founder Jack Cohen uh, in Hackney. Uh, the proceeds from what he received from the, the end of the, 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 the First World War. And uh, the turnover on his first day was four pounds, and he made a profit of a pound. So I'm sure Tesco would enjoy to, uh, having those margins today. Um, and the the name Tesco was derived from a, a brand of tea was selling, which was um, the initials of Thomas Edward Stockwell, and then he just took the the core from Cohen. So you know, that's a, the start of of the business. Um, in 1929, he opened his first store. Uh, in 1934, he built his First warehouse, as you said, Paul, 1947, floated on the LSE. So that's quite a bit of progress. And then in 1948, um, the first self-service store uh, was opened. And in 1959, the first supermarket. So this was a trend that we'd seen emanating from the United States. There's a lot of things that we've seen. Uh, it starts in the States and it comes across the Atlantic and, and we're, we're some little time behind that. So after that, he's already been going quite uh, quite well, but it, it went into a period of more aggressive expansion over the over the decades. And in, in 1995, Tesco overtook Sainsbury as the number one grocer, and Sainsbury had had a 50 year start. So you know that's a, that's an impressive catch up, and it's been number one you know number one since you know, and um, it's it's been out on its own. Uh, they've also expanded into Central Europe, Ireland, Th- Thailand, and Malaysia, which they sold. The Thai and Malaysian business was sold in 2020. We'll get onto that a little bit later on. And they introduced the club card, the juggernaut that is club card. Uh, in 2002, they bought one stop. And more recently, uh, they uh, they took over or merged with the, the wholesaler Booker. So, um, you know, with any business that's been around for a, a period of time, there's some hiccups along the way. Um and there have been some abandoned projects. You know, when you become a, a mature business and you, you're trying to find out where do you go for growth, well, they, they tried the United States, and like a lot of businesses, that backfired. You know, it's a, it's been a graveyard for a few uh, British businesses. Uh, they launched a, a brand called Fresh and Easy back in 20, 2007, and uh, they exited that back in 2013. Then they've tried the Dobby's Garden Centre, uh, giraffe, which is a restaurant chain, Harrison Hool, which was a, a, a coffee chain, and they've even tried Jack's, uh, which was a discount chain. And that was to take on what we, you know, what we call the discounters, predominantly when we talk about those we're talking about, Aldi and Lidl. So in more recent times, you know, they've they've, they've become more of a uh, concentrating on back to basics, going back to, you know, food, 
Uh, and, you know, there's been a couple of recent uh, bolt-on acquisitions like, you know, Paper Chase. Um, you know, I was down in um, at Battersea Power Station uh, back in March and they had a, a Paper Chase there. And I was just looking at the expense of what's involved in selling, you know, um, you know, gift wrap and station and stuff like that. Well, you know, for for Tesco, all they need to do is is, is put a, some you know, paper chase materials next to the cards and the gift wrap that they've got there. That's a that's a bolt on, and um, and they've uh, I think last year or the year before they've um, they've bought a, a chain in the Republic of Ireland called Joyce's. That's just ten supermarkets which they've badged up as, as as Tesco now. So, you know that all makes that all makes sense. Um, you know something that can you know just add on quite easily. And then, you know, one thing that hung over them a little bit was the 2014 accounting scandal where they overstated the profits by 250 million. And people still talk about that today as it's in recent times, but that's, you know, that was that was 10 years ago. And then um, something that was quite interesting back uh, a couple of years when Dave Lewis was the outgoing CEO, um, the, his his bonus scheme was, was changed in that uh, in order to, it looks as though in order to um, that he hit his bonds before exiting the, in the business, um, the uh, the Ocado was removed from the statistics. So uh, they, they said, "Well, that's not a not, not a like for a like." So that that meant that he, he left with his bonus. That was um, that was voted down by the shareholders, but um, that vote was deemed only advisory. You know, they're only the people who own the business, Paul. You know, so yeah. What, what's it got to do with them? Yeah, yeah. You know, so that was something that you know. Um, I'm sure that's the kind of territory that we could talk about in greater depth on another podcast, you know. So that's a little bit of, of, of the backstory on, you know, the history of some of the good and some of the bad. But, you know, you've got to look at it and say, you know, over over its history, Paul, you know, we've talked about a few of the things that have, have gone wrong, but, you know, it's been a success story. And you put your trust in Tesco quite a long time ago. Yeah, as you said, it's my longest held stock. Um, I first purchased this back in 2005, and uh, I, my purchase price was £3.13.7. And the eagle-eyed or eagle-eared um, listeners out there will be aware that, that is, uh, it's higher than the price today, which is, uh, I think, about 264 and a half as we're recording today, Bob. So, um, you know, that was – we'll get on to why – uh, I, I think this is a, a valuable stock to have in my portfolio. This is how I, how I see it. But if we if we just go into more recent times, I've added back in 2020, if you can remember, where we're still very much into the depths of COVID then, Paul, I'm always fully invested regardless of what's gone on. I'm always, you know, at, at the top of the market, what we're about, the bottom of the market, I, I don't know them at the time, but I'm constantly, you know, reinvesting. Uh, I generally deal once a month. Occasionally, it's a, very occasionally, it's a sell. But ninety percent of the time, I'm I'm adding to existing holdings. And in May 2020, I paid two thirty four. June was two thirty one. October two thirteen, and November was two oh seven. So, part of the reason for that was well, it was the most secure place I could think of at the time. Um, if you think about what was happening to uh, life back then it was it was everything was turned upside down and so it felt but you know broadly this was a business that was was largely unaffected um in that other than people had to stand you know two yards away from one another and there's some plastic screens put up uh when you think about that um 
things like uh, hospitality were closed. Where do we, where do we have to go for our our calories? We had to go to the supermarket. And how could you how could you treat, you couldn't treat yourself by going out? So people were you know buying that bottle of wine or that ribeye steak or what have you. So um, you know as a result of, of of that, you know Tesco was was largely you know unaffected. And uh, uh, quite interestingly, this is forgotten. You know people you know always seem to like hit the the big player in the market. Uh, but they got business rate relief of 585 million and they volunteered to pay that back, which um, there was no legal requirement for, that, for them to do so. Um, and, that, and that prompted the rest of, or the majority of the other supermarkets. I, I, I think there must have been, why have you done that? We have to do the same now. Um, so that was, that was repaired. Um, and partly why I, I, I invested at that time is that, as I mentioned just before, you know, the, the Thai and the Malaysian businesses were sold um, for five billion, and Tesco announced a special dividend of I think it was uh, about fifty pence, 50, nearly fifty-one pence, fifty point nine three, I think it was. So uh, I knew that when I was in uh, buying this this Tesco stock, um, I'd be getting an element of that money back, and I was effectively parking that. That money for a while, you know, while whilst we found out what was going to happen, because we, we didn't know, we didn't know how long this was going to last, Paul, or um, we were very much uh, into the unknown. And in fact, part, perhaps part of the reason that, that Tesco felt that they were having to um, pay back this uh, this business rate is that um, there was a lot of who are saying, "Oh, Tesco are paying a special dividend of five billion to the shareholders." But it was nothing to do with the profitability of day to day what they were doing. It was the sale of a business, so. You know, again, it's another case of don't let the um, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, or don't let the you know. Okay, so uh, the purpose of this episode is to discuss some of the key investment arguments, and there are a number of reasons you chose Tesco over and above other supermarkets, but you have grouped them into five categories for us, and I assume that these categories could be applied to analysing any similar food retailer stock. Yeah, I would imagine so. You, 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 I've, I've tried to keep them into a manageable group. You know, five's a nice round number. Uh, and, and we'll work through them. Okay, so the first reason you've given is size. One of its things that di- differentiates it is its size. It's the market leader, and it's gonna. It's got a dominant position. You know, it's got twenty-seven point one percent of the of the grocery market, and that's ahead of, of Sainsbury's by fourteen point eight percent. Now, interestingly. Um, of that 27.1%, that's only stores that are badged up as Tesco. So one stop will be on top of that. And, um, you know, uh, convenience stores that are selling Booker, mate- uh, Booker Booker product won't be included in that. 20. So it's probably something a little bit north of that. So, you know, there's a reason why they are number one in the marketplace. And I would suggest it's probably because people like shopping there. That's that's the reason. Um, and perhaps a little bit, um, you might think it's a little bit odd, but you know, one of the, the, the things is it's way for thin margins. You know, uh, Tesco, I think their operating margin is just 3.8%. So, you know, there's a big myth that the supermarkets are profiteering from inflation or what have you. That's not in the figures. You know, they're working on way for thin margins. Which means that it's it's difficult for for people to, to come into the the supermarket sector. You know what? You know why would you? You know I think there's other things to to keep people away. And you know in recent years, you know there's 
you know, there's brands like Nettle, Summerfield, Quicksave, and Safeway. They've all, you know, do you remember those, Paul? They've all, they've all, all, you know, you know, gradually disappeared. You know, so it does give you the the, the economies of scale. You know, and Tesco have got that um, that final muscle, uh, financial muscle. Now, given their size, they're, they're, they've got a multiple offering. You know, they've got a finest range, uh, and then they can, you know, they they, they can do the Aldi price match, and then they've got their own label, so they can slug it out where they need to be with you know the people who are called the discounters. Um, and you know, it's it's it enables them to to target a wide you know demographic spread. You know, from people who are uh, relatively wealthy, you know, to those that are shopping on, on a budget. So, and as well, you know, got the, as I've said, the multiple channels, you know, we've got, we've got Watson Stock, we've got the Tesco Express, and then we've got, you know, the, the, the Booker acquisition. Um, that's, uh, you know, it's a wholesale, it's a cash and a carry, and it's supply, uh, supplying, you know, independent stores and um, hospitality. So, you know, again, some of the, the calories that we might be eating in our local soup, uh, local restaurant, Paul, of, have come from the, you know, the Tesco family, um, and uh, you know, what what's their offering? It's a one stop shop. You know, when I go to a, I go to a large uh, Tesco, and um, it's you know, I can get everything there, which I want to do. You know, it's not how you know, going to the supermarket isn't really how I want to spend my time. I want to get my groceries, any homework, petrol, pharmacy. It's all on one site. You know, it's a bit of a. It's a bit like a bank raid, you know, once we've been to the supermarket and thrown everything in the car, come on, let's go, go, go. You know, it's not something I want to, I don't want to dwell my time there. Um, it's, uh, you know, my time is you know more important than, 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 you know, shopping at one supermarket, then picking up, you know, several things from from two or three others. And then you've got the power of club card that we mentioned. And, um, you know, it really is a phenomenon um, because Tesco have got uh, over 20 million households our club card users are signed up to club card, you know, 21 million. There's 14 million got the app. Um, and, you know, I had a Google earlier on, and I believe there's just 28 million households. So, you know, three out of four households have got access to club card. Um, I mean, do you have a club card, Paul? I do. I do. Yeah. I have a club card on a, a little keyring thing, yeah. which I use. And uh, yes, it, it is very good. And there are some, you have to be a bit careful in Tesco's because they, they have these kind of yellow stickers and they're the club card price mm. and uh, they, they are very eye-catching. So if you haven't got a club card, you can be in for a surprise at the, at the checkout. Yeah. Um, but no, I use it quite a lot. And uh, um, yes, it's 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 good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's well, I, I, I think the other supermarkets are trying to do their own kind of like, nectar, car, uh, nectar points and that kind of thing, you know, but it really is. Now, some people get a bit squiffy about Club Card because, well, they, they, you know, they get, they're gathering data on me and, uh, you know. They, well, who I, isn't? I, I mean, uh, I, I, I think a lot of these people are, are, are the ones that, w- that walk around with Tim Foyle on their head, you know. I mean, if I've been to Tesco and they, they'll be able to ascertain that I've, I've, I've recently moved across to de- decaffeinated coffee or through the socks that I bought on a size nine or uh, I've actually bought some uh, hemorrhoid ointment. I don't know what the Russians or the Chinese are going to make out of that, Paul. You know, it's uh, I'm not I'm not overly bothered about that 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 data that they have on me. I think that's 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 alternative data, isn't it? That that is more for in, uh, for the stock market, isn't it? Really, to find yeah. out uh, yeah. to find out what you're doing. They use that um, crunch those numbers. Yeah, so not so. Yeah, so just on size, you know, you know, it's the largest employer, the longest private employer in the UK. You know, three hundred and forty-five thousand employees they've got. They've got 
3,712 stores. That's in the UK, uh, and including you know, the Republic of Ireland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, and Hungary. It's, I think I've written only four, eight, five, nine. So it's mm. yeah, it's a big concern. It's a it's a big concern. So that's that's that, that, that the kind of size element. You know, that's that's the size element. Okay, so size number one, number two. Uh, I have here basic human requirement. Yeah, um, if you look at we're human beings, you know. You know, food is a very, very basic requirement, isn't it? You know, it's we, you know, we found out what really mattered again during COVID, didn't we? You know, and it's it's food, shelter, and warmth. You know, it's no different to when we were cavemen, Paul, and um, even down to things like um, pharmacy you know, or or medicines or you know, you know, pharmaceutical products. You know, in the short term, we could probably live without a lot of those. Let's let's see how long we could. We could keep going, with, you know, with, without food. You know, it, it would soon sort things out. And you know, it's not a cyclical. It's not a cyclical business. You know, we need we need to be fed the same. You know, every day. You know, whether we're in a good mood or a bad mood, or whether we're working or not. You know, we, you know, we we need to fuel ourselves. And also against that is a, you know, a growing UK population. You know, we've got an increasing population. It's well documented. I mean, just last week. We heard about, um, you know, net migration was up 600,000, you know. So irrespective of where those people have come from, Australia, America, China, Sudan, Eritrea, you know, they've got to buy, you know, UK you know, food in, in the UK. So that's another 600,000, you know, bellies to fill. You know, that's a, that's a, a basic kind of tailwind there. Uh, unlike some other economies like, um, you know, Japan and Italy and Bulgaria. You know, some of these countries, they're actually they're, they're, their their populations are declining. So, you know, so ours is, is continuing to grow. So on a, a supply and demand basis, then they, they both are there effectively yeah. with, uh, with Tesco. Yeah. Um, number three, visibility. Yeah. So a lot of the businesses that are out there, uh, I thought you know, I thought about you know, the visibility. How many businesses can you go in and you can walk around and, and see what it does? That's it at a, at a basic level. You know, um, it doesn't tell you everything. You can't walk around the warehouse, but you can see the offering. You can see how busy it is. Uh, um, are, are, are the shelves are the shelves full? You know, um, uh, is there a good a, a good choice? You know, just so you, you can you can walk around and get a, a get a feel for the for, for the business. And okay, you've been through to one supermarket. You know, it's not going to be the same in New Market as it is in Edinburgh. But at least it can give you a little bit of an insight. You can have a little bit of a feel for for what it's doing. And I think this is probably the main thing before I do any investment is right. Can I easily understand what it does right? And you go to a, a supermarket. It's a basic. It's a basic business model, really, isn't it? You know, you buy large quantities of somebody else, you stick it on a shelf, and you sell them in smaller quantities, don't you? And, and that—that's it. You know, so I could—I can understand at a basic level what it does. You know, it's not overly difficult. Um, you know, it's the—it's the UK's largest employer, so you know, you know, given their size, you know, you—you know, you—you know, we, we mentioned three hundred and forty-five. Uh, thousand employees. There's, there's a good chance that one of your pals works for Tesco. You know, they they might be able to tell you what's been in the newsletter or how things are going there. Are they be, are they taking people on? Are they people laying people off? So there's a lot of visibility, you know, and and the, and the coverage that it gets. You know, almost every you know every other day you'll be hearing how the supermarkets are doing one against the other. Um, 
you know, it's very, very, it got a lot of, a lot of coverage. It's not like some of the smaller businesses that we've talked about, Paul, whereby um, you'll get the, the, the results at the end of the year and, and the half year and very little in between. You know, you've probably got a feel for how, how these, this, this business is doing. And then you've got things like Kantar, which are excellent. And um, every four weeks um, on a Tuesday, so always on a Tuesday, um, they release supermarket market share data on the, the market share and the pricing and what's, you know, whether it's been uh, what the, the latest trends that, you know, the summer's here and there's a lot of barbecue stuff being sold and what have you. So um, it's... What's what's Kantar then? What are they, what's that? Is that a second? Kantar are a data or data analytics and brand consulting company, Paul. Right. So they, they, they kind of provide all that information because yeah. information is really important for investors, isn't it? And oh, absolutely. Say, the, the smaller companies, they kind of keep the cars pretty close to the chest a lot of the time, but a big organization like Tesco's can't really do that. Can they? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they'll, they'll be able to, they'll be able to, uh, they'll have certain, it's like saying what, what programs I've been watching and there's 12 million people watched whatever it was, you know, cause they'll have people at home saying, I watched that, you know, they don't really know. I'm counting the twelve million. They've got, they'll have a, um, a, a specimen of of people that, that you know. I don't know how many it'll be, and they'll say where did, where was I shopping this week, and what did I buy, and I would imagine that's how it works anyway. Um, and then you know, with the visibility, um, it's like a, it's like a canary in the cage. You know, I, I think that you know, if we're you know, given that with the visibility that we've got, if things start going wrong. Um, I think we'll get a little bit of a warning that it's, you know, it's it, it's the numbers up. I don't think something's going to change overnight. Um, and I think we'll have time to act. And, um, you know, if we're on the island it, for five years, Paul, I'm pretty certain that when we when we get off it, you know, Tesco will, we, we, we'd recognise what Tesco was in five years' time compared to what it is now. I don't think it's going to be something like, uh, trying to think of an example, um, Kodak and the um, the iPhone, for example. You know that comes the iPhone comes along, and all of a sudden nobody's taking their the photographs to be developed at Boots, are they any longer? You know, over. No, I wouldn't say it was overnight, but very quickly, you know, things changed. You know, in that sector, and you know, it's 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 been weathering the storm quite well. You know, in the over the last three years, it's only one of what was called the Big Four to um, to grow its market share. Uh, okay, number four, cash generation. Yeah, well, uh, uh, something typical of retail in general is that you are getting paid a lot quicker than what you uh, have to pay your suppliers, you know, so the, the cash is coming in. And this helps that uh, pay those all-important dividends that we like. Um, and in Tesco's case, they've been doing quite a, an aggressive, reasonably aggressive share buyback over the last couple of years. Uh, which is you know seven hundred and fifty million, seven hundred fifty million last year, and uh, and this year. So um, you know, and those shares are, are, are being cancelled. Uh, and just a little bit of a, an aside on that. And again, we'll, we might talk about this in on another podcast in in some some depth. Um, is that uh, the idea of share buybacks is to returning. Um, Cash to shareholders. Well, generally, it's returning cash to the exiting shareholders. That's what that's what happens. It's not the existing ones, but the number of shares come down, and the and the uh, the, the the profit per share goes up through the earnings per share. Well, the earnings per share go up. But interestingly, after Tesco pay, uh, paid the seven hundred and fifty million, 
for the shares and they and they've cancelled them. The dividend is the same as the previous year, so that's been maintained at ten point nine pence. So the and total dividends that they've paid out, um, they've actually paid out less money because they've been paying that ten point nine p to less shares. So you could argue, well, would they have been better off buying back the shares or just increasing the dividend? That's that's you know, but there's there's arguments, always arguments um, for and against. But you know that that when you look at that, the seven hundred fifty million against the market capitalization, you know that's I think you know what was it twenty billion? That's you know three and three quarter percent of the of the of the equities being cancelled. Okay, and uh, number five, my favourite indicator, competition. Yeah, Paul. Well, you know, I me- you know mentioned perhaps a couple of them, but we could, you know we could walk- we mentioned that some have disappeared. But you know, I do think you know the the competition is quite vulnerable in, in different ways. You know, we we you know we look at Sainsbury's, you know, their offering, you know, so they've also got Argos and Habitat. You know, you know, I tend to think that. Those are a little bit of a distraction. Um, so, you know, I'd rather be just concentrating on food personally. You know, things like, you know, uh, furniture or whatever it is, that's more of a discretionary spend. And then if you look at, you know, the next two behind those, you know, Asda, uh, they've got 13.9% and um, uh, Morrison's 87 You know, they've recently t- taken on a lot of debt. Now, that needs servicing, Paul. That debt needs servicing at, at, at some stage. And uh, it's just been in the news last couple of days that um, I think the Issa brothers that uh, that own Asda they're looking to restructure and bring it in with the um, Euro garages side, you know. But that's that's not going to go away. You can slice it up a different way and repackage it, but that debt is there. And when you're looking at those, as we mentioned, those wafer thin margins, um, how do you get it back? That's that's, that's the thing. And how do you how 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 do you work it? And in in you know we've got inflation and, and interest rates going up, so that's going to be. I think an invisible boulder that's on the shoulders. After that, okay, they've been gaining market share, Aldi and Lidl, um, but it doesn't seem to have been at Tesco's expense. But um, I mean, we, we don't know when are we going to when are we, when are we going to reach peak discounter, Paul? You know, um, or are they going to are they going to morph into something else? Are they going to become a more of a traditional um, you know supermarket? Uh, I don't know. I believe in Germany they are out and out discounters, so that's that's the business business model. Um, they seem to be taking quite a bit of market share from Morrison's, but you know let, let's see on that. And then you've got you know players like Ocado. It seems like a, a a nice idea, but you know they're 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 losing money hand over fist. Um, Waitrose, they're owned by their employees. They're they're owned by the John Lewis or part of the John Lewis Group. They seem to be struggling. Um, Iceland, predominantly frozen offering, a couple of percent. I recently listened to Malcolm Walker on Desert Island Dish, not the Desert Island investor, and he said, well, really, you know, we shouldn't be in business. It's that small. So um, they might get squeezed. And, that's, uh, not a good, that's not a good comment, really, is it? Well, I think it's actually the intro, you know, I, I think the, um, the, uh, the, the host of uh, Desert Island said, said, you've said in the past that we you, that you shouldn't really exist, but uh, it was still a good, it was still a good uh, 40 minutes spent. And then you've got the co-op thrown in there as well, you know, which, you know, they've got about, I think, 5% of the market, something like that. It's, it's mainly convenience. Um, they, they, keep, they, they keep bobbing around, you know. So I think, you know, when I look at all those, you know, I do think that 
you know, personally, I think, you know, Tesco have got the strongest offering, the broadest offering. And if you wanted to look at the, the UK supermarket sector and you wanted some exposure to it, well, that, that has been has been diminished because back in 1999, as they were still listed, so we're going back, you know, 20 plus years, but that was bought out by Walmart, so that disappeared. So um, Morrison's got bought out in 2021. They're, they're delisted. So really, where do you go for exposure to the UK supermarket sector? You know, when, when Morrison's disappeared, I was actually quite, no, it hasn't disappeared, but it was, it was delisted. I thought, well, that might help Tesco a little bit because some of their shareholders might then gravitate to Tesco and, and that might be an element of support. But, you know, you're looking at Tesco and Sainsbury's and, and, and what's behind that? Is it a, a cardo? You know, so and who's to say that somebody else might like those, some private equity might like, you know, Sainsbury's or, or Tesco themselves. And then it's, you know, they, you know private equity, they, they, they seem to like these consistent um, incomes that they have, and then it's down to the the whatever whoever's left is going to be the the only game in town. So um, it's 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 a diminished marketplace. So this is a a very mature business that's unlikely to go on a continued high growth mm-hmm. phase. So what role does it play in your portfolio? Yeah, well, it, it, you know, people say to me, it's um, you know, what do you look for in a stock and it's one of those answers, you know, there's not one thing. It, it, it depends. And, and I see a, a portfolio as, um, I, I describe some of these stocks like ballast, you know, the foundation or uh, it's, it's like compiling a football team. And I see Tesco as, as, as a defender. And when I first built my portfolio, I, 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 I it was defensive minded to start with. Uh, let's, 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 let's make sure that if things go wrong, like, and we didn't know what was going to go wrong did we, for, for a long period of time. Now, until until something like COVID comes along, you know, and now well, we're through that, aren't we? But who's to say that we're not going to have, you know, I mentioned the reason it's a basic human requirement, um, but what's to say we're not going to have uh, COVID-27 or COVID-31 or potentially something something a lot worse? We, we don't know. So um, I've, got, I've got Tesco there. I know it's a mature business, right, and it's not going to go rampaging ahead. It's not going to multi-bag, right? But hopefully, you know, there's a there's a limited downside. So what that allows me to do when I've got these defensive stocks in place, um, it's, you know, it's a bit out, you know, my growth stocks, they're the attackers. You know, they're the ones that I'm looking to score the goals and and, and, and go forward and, and hopefully hopefully score. Now, they can go forward, you know, attacker can go forward because they know if it, if it, if it, if it goes wrong, if they lose the ball, then they're not totally exposed. They've got the defence behind them. And, and it's a little bit like that, you know. That's what you know. I'm 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 happy to have these more mundane, um, you know, stocks behind there protecting my more offensive players. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, occasionally, what one of these defenders might score a goal or get a man of the match or something like that, and they might have their little moment in the sun. But I know they're you know these are, are more PC plod. Uh, you know, if somebody says to me. Um, well, it's not made a lot of money you know, over those years. You know, I'm happy. I'm happy with that because I'm looking at the total return of the portfolio, I'm, I'm, and I'm asking you know different, you know, different stocks to do different uh, to do different jobs for me. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks very much for that, Mark. Um, now we're going to go straight in now to a question in a bottle. Um, because uh, <laughs> Mark's pushed my piano into the lagoon, so I can't play that little bit of music. Uh, so uh, let's just go and have a look and see what's in the bottle.
All right. Uh, and this episode, we have a question from Nathan Sturgis. And Nathan asks, I have a question for Mark. I also have an idea who may come up, but there may be some surprises. Who are the investors he looks up to and whose books on the subject are worth paying attention to? Right. Thanks, Nathan. Uh, another friend of the podcast. Um, I thought for this, rather than trying to go for you know something obscure and, and, and left field on the, on the people, I might go for a, le- a little bit left field on one of the books. But I'd talk about three of what you might call the, the usual suspects, right? And, and the first one is really not good to, to surprise you, and that's uh, Mr. Warren Buffett. Um, he casts a long shadow over over um, the stock market and investing, um, and his success rate has been absolutely fantastic. Um, He's, but he's been at it a long time, you know. And I'm not, I don't want to, you know, rubbish any of his achievements, you know. But he's, he's 92, I think, and he's, he's still been at it. I still had it. Uh, I think he started when he was, a, you know, an adolescent. So for nearly 80 years, he, he's been in, investing. Um, and you've got to respect his, his enthusiasm. Uh, I think one thing I also respect about him um, is that despite his success, he still lives to uh, listens to Charlie Munger. You know, he still listens to somebody else. I think that's important that, you know, Charlie Munger can say, I think you're off beam here. You know, you need to do something different. Have you thought about that? Um, We don't know everything. But, you know, my, you know, he he was born to, with the greatest respect, you know, a little bit into the lucky sperm club. You know, he was, he was in this, you know, when you get 8 billion people on the planet, you know, somebody like this is going to, isn't going to crop up. And I think his father was a congressman. He was a, um, an investor and a businessman himself, you know, so he did have a start, you know, he did have a start on, and he's acknowledged that, you know, he has acknowledged that. But for me, um, you know, I, I think this interest that he's got has been, has been all consuming and he's enjoyed it. He's loved every day, uh, what he enjoys doing. And, and this is for him, you know, but I think he lives a, a very narrow world and a very narrow life. And for what I, you know, what I believe, I, you know, I've not met him. I've read several books about him but um i don't think he always had a lot of time for for his family for example or, or other interests you know and i think he outside of inv- investing what he does what does he do i think he, he plays the ukulele and, and bridge you know to a, a modest degree so um so when you look at you know in order to be the top at, at anything in life now in order to be number one it's a bit like bobby fisher at chess it's almost to the exclusion of everything else you know bobby fisher was a a fantastic chess player, but outside of that, you know, his, his life was chaos. Um, so, you know, that's that, that's it. You know, great investor. Would I like to live his life? No, really. Um, you know, because I I want a, a more balanced life than that. So, number two, um, one of our own, somebody we've, we've mentioned before. You know, Terry Smith. You know, and he came from a. Uh, a, a modest background. Uh, I think his father was a lorry driver, uh, went to grammar school and then Cardiff University. But he seems to have been pretty successful, you know, th- throughout his life, wherever he's gone. And, um, you know, he's, he's still active uh, in investing. I think it's about 70 something like that. But he, he seems to be somebody who's got a bit more of a rounded life, more of a, you know, a- interest outside of, of investing. I think he's interested in boxing, I think, cycling. Um, I think he flies, scuba dives, you know. So that's a bit more. Even though he's still involved, there's things outside that that, that I that I can relate to. Uh, it's not just investing, 
for investing sake. You know, it's not what, um, and, uh, you know, again, down to him, you know, he, he, he always gives credit to his, his number two, Julian Robbins. He's very, very generous in that. And the wider people in the, in the Funsmith team. And again, I think he's somebody that's been true to himself. Uh, I think he's done things his way. Uh, and he's, you know, he's been very, very successful. And I think he's, he, he's not blunt, but he's direct, you know, and, and he has a, you know, a, a way of putting things across. And um, I think he, he, he also has a, a, you know, a, a very good life himself. And then third, um, the third person is is Peter Lynch, uh, and he uh, ran the the Magellan Fund for for thirteen years. You know, this is somebody who I think his father died when he was ten. Um, in order to help his mother out, he started caddying at the local golf club. Of course, I don't think he was any kind of affluent background, but you know, he, over the thirteen years, he, he averaged this twenty nine point two percent. You know, and. The one thing that he did that I really admire is that when he got to the you know the age of forty six, he just said that's it I've had enough you know I'm 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 retiring I'm going to do something else I've amassed enough wealth right and you know I want to do something else for the rest of my life and uh, I think you know absolutely well done to him you know if you think when, when he when he finished at forty six that's half the age it's ex- exactly half the age that Warren Buffett is now you know and I think that. Life for me personally, you know, it, it's 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 all about balance. Um, now, um, I think they're all excellent communicators, and they've all they've all got a very clear strategy of what they what they're trying to do. And I think whatever you're trying to, when you are an investor, whatever you know, you know, strategies can be different, but just know what know what your strategy is. So on to the books. It, 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 I'm going to go with one that um, there's three here. I'm just going to. Blow a bit of sound off them, Paul. Um, so the first one, it's a well-known book. I mentioned Peter Lynch, and pe- people mention it, you know, for good reason. It is a very, very good book, and it's called One Up on Wall Street, and the rider to that is how to use what you already know to make money in the market, right? And it's not a difficult, but you don't have to be an investor. It's it's not Your head's not going to be hurting afterwards. It's e- very easy to digest. It's a good read, and he points out really that it's not like, you know, the Wizard of Oz, where this person's behind behind the curtain, you know, he lays bare that really it's very very simple. You're, you know, it's it's um, you, you don't have to have a, a degree in economics to be to be an investor. After that, there's a second book also by Peter Lynch, "Learn to Earn: um, A Beginner's Guide to the Basics of Investing and Business." And um, you know, this is more directed at younger people. There's no reason why you have to be. 25 30 you know 40 you know you can start at school you know but if you've got if you've got an if you're got an intrigue and a thirst for knowledge and, and you're interested in the stock market you know this is a little bit more and adults can read this one as well it's you know but it's a uh, it, it, it's a start point it's another good book by peter lynch and then i thought was a, just to be a little bit different um just a little bit from from like i said from from left field earlier on i thought i'd, I'd choose somebody who's not an investor and it's a work of fiction and it's a story that you know ninety nine percent of people listening will be familiar with, and it's a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And the reason I said this, you know, I, I mean, if, if nobody's ever, I know people have watched the films and uh, on television, but if you've never read it, you know, read it because it it really is a, an excellent book. It doesn't have to be read at Christmas, but it gives a salutary lesson about you know what money is for. I mentioned about you know balance and what have you. 
And, you know, we have this character, Ebenezer Scrooge, who is, you know, he's just seduced by avarice over the years, you know. And, you know, Jacob Marley says to him that, um, you know, I, I, when he introduces himself, you know, I wear the chains I forged in life. And I find that with a lot of, of investors, you know, we, we, if we start, I mean, I started when I was 18 and you, it, the habit of investing and saving and building and building and building, it can become that ingrained. You, you, you can't forget that ultimately it's there to be enjoyed, right? And um, there's two journeys that you need to go on, the building up of the wealth and then the understanding of, in my opinion, what it's used for. So, um, you know, it, it, I think there's a lot to learn from that. And, you know, as much as I enjoy this, Paul, as long as, as much as I enjoy investing in the stock market and researching things, it's not earning the money. It's not building up the work for its own sake and seeing a number on the screen grow better. It's what it provides me, you know, and it's, it's the freedoms that it gives me. It's the, it's the opportunity to, you know, to, to winter in, a, in nicer climates, you know, instead of, you now I could stay at home and, and watch the rain batter up against the window and, and, and watch the wealth grow up. But, you know, and I prefer to, to, to use that. And, and I, I'm, I meet a, a number of investors, and if they're not careful, they make a prison for themselves because the wealth that they, they build becomes a sacred a trust that can't be touched. So, you know, my, my, my message would be, you know, just, you know, don't, don't fall into the trap of just you know, building your number up on a screen. Enjoy it. Well, uh, thank you very much. Obviously, I'm very pleased the fact you've spent some of it on lunch today for a change. And uh, Nathan, I hope that answers your question. Well, that's all for this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please remember the content is for information only and it is not financial advice. If you would like to pop a question into a bottle for Mark, just post your question in the comments and hopefully it'll reach the island in time for the next episode. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.